0: You're listening to a Market Moves Property Podcast from EG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. We're talking about green finance, capital raised specifically to support companies' green and sustainable work. It's a young but fast-growing market, and real estate companies have been making strides in accessing it. What are the benefits that companies can find in this particular funding market? How do different segments of the investor community view these deals? And when does an alternative method of fundraising become mainstream? To explore this, I was joined over Microsoft Teams by guests from three real estate companies that have raised money in the green finance market. Jay Joshi, Group Treasurer at Derwent London, Martin McGann, Finance Director at London Metric, and Frankie Whitehead, Finance Director at Tritax Big Box. We started by recapping what our guests' companies have done in this space so far. Derwent was a first mover. With a green revolving credit facility back in 2019, and Jay took us back to that deal.
1: Back in 2019, we we were trying to sort of refinance some debt. We were kind of speaking to our banks and looking what what was what what sort of appetite there was from some of our um, some of our lenders. Um, we had a um, a 450 million facility, a revolving credit facility, a traditional revolving credit bank facility maturing um in the next couple of years and and as you do you look to refinance that little bit earlier trying to remove the refinancing risk and i actually all started because i attended a um a green financing seminar now in all honesty i'd heard about green financing for at least four or five years now Um, but i sort of attended i attended one of these seminars with my cfo our head of sustainability and it was a bit of a eureka moment where they sort of talking about um what sort of use of proceeds um the, the way these green finance deals are being structured. And I just kept thinking, hang on, this is sort of a light bulb moment. This is sort of the stuff that we are doing, investing the money into our portfolio. Um, and making and, and taking sort of older, poorer quality buildings and making them making them greener. So we 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 took this idea and we sort of expanded on it in a bit and, and in 2019 being, we were sort of the first mover in the sector um, to explore this in the, in the real estate sector, and we raised um, a 300 million uh, green revolving credit facility, uh, which sort of links to the LMA green loan principles. Frankie, TriTax, hit the green bond market for the first time last year. Just
0: reminders of, of that transaction.
2: Sure, um, good to speak to him. Um, thank you for having us on. So we we were looking um, at increasing our debt book. So we have. Uh, a long and deep development pipeline um, and we were looking to, to embark on some development activity um, during the latter part of, this, uh, of last year and in, into this year we needed to, 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 to debt finance some of that. So um, I, I think we were always going to access the, the public markets um, you know, in terms of our corporate facilities, we have enough at the moment and the, and, and the maturity is still sort of four to five years to run. So that wasn't a particular market that we were looking at um, for this, you know, this transaction. Um, I think with the growth in in, the, in the, the the public space, particularly the you know the ESG bonds, it was a, a market that we've been researching for some time. Um, and you know I think you know embedding you know, sustainability in ESG within you know the business that we have been doing for a number of years now, and the consumer demanding that you know that everyone does their bit in terms of decarbonisation, um, you know we've been looking clearly across the broader business on, on how we, we take steps in the right direction there, and felt that adding the financing aspect was a natural, a natural thing to do. So um, we, we opened up dialogue with with some of our banks um, around around the green bond. Uh, we went to markets in November. Uh, we were targeting a, a, a 250 million issuance um, looking for 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 longer term debt. So we were looking at the 12, 13 year tenor mark. Um, and you know, it, it, it was a very, very positive response that we got from from the investor base there. So um, the overall demand was very strong, sort of two billion plus, um, and the pricing point was was very attractive. So um, we executed last November for a 13-year deal uh, at a one and a half percent coupon. So very pleased with the outcome uh, and, and you know very positive response from the market itself. And Martin, London
0: Metrics' latest private placement included that uh, that green tranche as well.
2: Yeah, look,
3: look, coming last is good, because I can just agree with everything that Frank and Jay have just said. <laughs> and, and very similar to Jay, actually, you know, we've got a, we had an RCF 440 million coming up for refinance in April 2022. You know, so I can't go through my year-end announcement on the 27th of May 2021 without that being refinanced. You know, the auditors would freak out. And so we, we needed a refinance. We were looking at the revolver and trying to decide how much revolver we needed and how much longer term debt we could carry. And if you go back to the earlier refinancings of London metric, we have grown in size. You know, our portfolio choices have changed a little bit. We've got we've got nearer to Frankie in terms of, of the proportion of our portfolio that's in logistics. So we actually felt and and we're doing a little bit less, uh, you know, know, investment divestment than than we were five years ago. And so we probably need a little bit less revolver. And the board was quite keen to go for some more longer term debt. And so we decided to do a 150 to 200 PP and uh, we're doing some other refinancings and we'll end up with a 400 of revolver. And and looking at the PP came first and and we felt, you know, it's interesting, Jay just mentioned the Eureka moment, you know, and I remember our Eureka moment. And it, Mm. it wasn't on the debt side, it was actually on the equity side. And, you know, I was in Amsterdam with the chief exec at a Kempen conference and the focus on ESG was extraordinary. And this was probably three or four years ago. And it became quite clear to us that if our ESG credentials were not in good order, then there were certain equity investors who wouldn't be able to invest. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so but that that's what started it. I think on, on the debt side, I I don't think we were doing it because we felt there was going to be a huge price advantage, and perhaps we can come on to that later. We felt there was probably a bit more liquidity in the market, you know, if if you had a green component to your debt, you know, and it certainly helped our overall green credentials. And it also helps the green credentials of the lenders, actually. So so it just seemed like a, a, an obvious thing to do particularly following behind these guys who had already who had already done it.
0: Jay, you were heavily involved in putting together Derwent's green finance framework. Talk yeah. me through how you how you formulated that in you know following that eureka moment, that light bulb moment that you had. Yeah. How do you then as a company and from your role within the treasury function map out a, a framework that will take the company forward?
1: Yeah, so so I mean, if you if you start think about thinking about the model first, and and the model is sort of taking older, poorer quality buildings, and either doing refurbishment them or or, or developing them and producing a greener building. So that that is the model essentially, and 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 that's being funded effectively by that's the main sort that's the main sort of form of capex development expenditure, and and that is all being funded by you know the, the debt we're raising. So the the funding is effectively being directly applied to these green projects. And and looking at it like that, we thought, okay, well, it's clearly we have a clear use of proceeds, um, and so we explored this use of proceeds approach because within, within green finance, uh, to loose, loosely speaking, there's this green finance and then there's this sustainability finance. One is use of proceeds based, the other one is sort of linked to your sustainability metrics, KPIs, etc. So so we talked about this, we we focused on this use of proceeds because we said, okay, well, you can measure the impact on that, you can you can you can see the flow of funds coming in and then going back out into the projects and um and we thought okay well let's try and create that linkage through and then we explored the the lma green loan principles so the lma is effectively this sort of um, sort of this voice, um, the um, sort of authoritative voice in, in the Emir space when it comes to loan documentations, and they came up with a set of green loan principles. Now they're rather they're rather vague, if I'm being completely honest. It's only about four sides, five sides of of A4, and it and it sort of sets out some basic principles about if you were to raise green finance, this is the sort of structure you might want to go with. And so we effectively mirrored our framework on that. So you cover things like the use of proceeds, so what sort of projects or what sort of criteria you can spend it on, how you're going to manage those proceeds, how you're going to report on those, how you're going to get that assured, um, and and sort of, you know, covering covering all of that or covering all of those points. Um, and so so it's almost like working backwards, thinking, right, what is our product? What are we trying to achieve? What is out there in terms of um, existing financing? And how do we then apply that to, to Derwent? um yeah it it's quite it, it's quite interesting because one thing we had to be careful of is being a first mover you're you're opening yourself up to to scrutiny from other people if it if it didn't look right yeah there's a lot of skepticism in the market you know something that looks green but when you, you scratch the surface and it starts looking like less green or slightly brown so it was important to have something that's sort of measurable scalable and sort of set a good benchmark and and with all that in mind we sort of drew up this um this this framework
3: we were warned very much you know, that if if you were going to do this, then you have to guard against. They called it greenwashing. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know that that it wasn't really a, a sustainable framework or a proper yeah. use of proceeds. You just fancied the title green because you know, thought it, it would play well.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and that and that is one of the things we had to be important. It said it says being being a first mover and coming out with this framework. I mean, for for example, the Element Green Loan Principles. They talk about. Um, a green building must have an external certification, right? There's there's no real measure of what that external certification looks like. And, and you know, if you look at, say, a BRIAM, it can be the most basic entry level, which is just a pass. So it's it's setting one of the top tiers of credentials and, and really sort of, um, I guess, how you interpret those principles and making sure it, it is, can stand up the test of scrutiny and setting something that is not going to be defined as green, green washing or, or whatever like that, whatever.
0: Frankie, did Tritax experience that kind of level of scrutiny? I mean, as you've touched on, huge oversubscribed order book for that transaction. What kind of level of scrutiny was the company put under by investors as you were marketing that?
2: Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. And we were, um, you know, we, we again, it was a positive reception. And and the fact that, that you know, the, these green investors are pushing you in terms of your eligibility criteria. You know, we went through the same process that Jay just described you're sitting down myself and the head of sustainability there to to derive the, the green finance framework. And I think for us, you know, our our capex going forward is going to be weighted more towards development. Um, so so that was a big area that we felt that, you know, A, we can make an impact from an ESG perspective, but but B in terms of um the allocation of the use of proceeds, it, it's going to sit more in that camp. So, you know, yes, it's it's the EPC ratings and it's the BRIAM ratings. And for us, you know, setting ourselves a a target of developing uh, buildings under a net zero carbon um, framework. Um, you know, we it's those ranges and and hitting the the top end of those ranges in terms of the ESG credentials. And I think that that was what was under most scrutiny there. It was you know it was EPC A or B, it was BRIEM uh, very good or better, making sure that we're at the 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 upper echelons of those those ranges of the possible. And I th- I think from the framework perspective itself, it's also a setting yourself, you know, challenging targets, but B setting a framework that I think is going to stand the test of time. You know, you don't want to be revisiting this um, and and you know changing the, the goalposts if you like, you know, too frequently. You know, yes, clearly it's going to evolve with with best practice, but it's something that we felt that we you know we put in place and it, it's going to be here for the medium term so people can refer back to that. We'll get the assurance reports um, against that framework, um, and yeah, I mean that was that was a. That was our experience. Martin touched on
0: the potential for pricing benefits earlier on and I'd be interested to dig into that a little. For a long time in certainly in the green bond market it's felt like borrowers and bankers would often admit that it it was difficult to see that there was any clear pricing differential between a green issuance and and a a traditional bond but it does feel like that's changing now and and Martin when when London Metric um, Announced that private placement. I, I noticed that the the green tranche priced inside where you you would have expected to see a, a non-green uh, tranche have have priced. Take take me through what you saw happening there in terms of the pricing.
3: Tim Tim, that's right. You know, so to, going back to something Jay said. So we have had a bit of both of of the, the different frameworks here because we're doing a PP, but we're also doing a, re, a refi of the RCF. So mm. on the PP, you know, we'll we'll get a two bit. Benefit, you know, on on the non-green you know, tranches of the PP, you know, and and that that doesn't particularly set the world alight. You know, I'm not sure I would I would do it just for the benefit of getting a two basis point advantage, but I'd rather have it than not have it. Sure. Um, and I think we found uh, interestingly in the uh, when you're talking to UK investors, they are I think they're further along the. Green curve, if that's the right expression, than the U.S. is, and I think we we found very little interest in in the green. I don't think it created more pricing benefit. I don't think it created much more liquidity. I think it did with the with the U.K. based investors. Okay. You know, and I think the you know f- for us, because the you know bit like with Frankie, you know, we had we had terrific demand, and that that tightened the price, and it tightened the price to a place where the U.K. investors. Couldn't play on price, but they would have played on green. The U.S. investors could play on price, but they weren't too interested in green. Um, you know, but we managed to find find one particularly who would who would give us that two-bip advantage, and so that was great. And and that's a use of proceeds, you know, very similar yeah. to the, what the guys have described. You know, we will use it on our development stock. You know that'll be, you know, we'll, we aim for that to be Bream excellent. I think our criteria ha- it has to be Bream very good. So, so that that should be fine, and that's terrific. This the sustainability framework, which is more com- complicated and more akin to what Jay was describing around the RCF. You know, that that's more around the you know the EPC putting solar panels in, you know, and BRIAM as well. So, so it, it's a bit more complicated. Frankie,
0: what were what were your experiences of of pricing and what you could you could achieve? I, I remember you, you you shaved a few basis points off, off that issuance as the order book grew.
2: That's right. I mean I was I was pleased to see see Martin's news when that when that came out. You know, the, as Martin said, the the PP market has always been a little bit behind the, the public markets to that degree, but it, it is um you know interesting to see that 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 recognition is coming through, and that that market is maturing um, uh, over time. So, you know, we're certainly going to be looking at, at that market for, for future issuance as well. Um, it's it's slightly more tricky, you know, w- without having a, a comparable traditional bond sitting alongside the green bond um, to know what that direct uh, benefit is. I think, you know, as we were approaching the deal, the message was that the, the benefit sort of naught to five basis points. I, I think that's probably moved on slightly, you know, in, in terms of where we are currently, you know, the, the, the book runners are talking five basis points plus, so, so that will be interesting to see how, how, how that moves on. And I think, you know, just to share some stats, just to echo the, 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 the US piece that Martin talked to, in the year to date, um, 25% of GBP public issuance um, has been ESG related, and only five percent of U.S. public issuance has been ESG-related. So I think it shows where the two the two markets are in terms of their their evolution there. Um, but yeah, I mean clearly, clearly there, there is a pricing benefit there, but we're not you know totally here for that. It's obviously the the ESG component and and, and making sure that everything you know talk, talks to one another in terms of your overall strategy and how you're looking to finance that.
3: You know, Frankie, I remember a couple of years ago sitting down with a, a UK high street bank talking about green finance. And he, and he said and said, so, you know, this would be the margin. And, you know, that was the green margin. And, and that's the margin. And I said, well, say, so what's the green margin? Because presumably that'll be a bit tighter. He said, no, no, that was the green margin. But if you don't comply, then you'll pay more. And I said, why would I do that?
2: <laughs> I, I think, you know, clearly for, for the public markets, we have, um, you know, the other the ongoing point here which is the secondary market trading position and um, you know with, with us having a green bond and uh, you know call it a traditional bond you know a standard bond um, I think what we're probably going to see is those green bonds trading inside the traditional bonds and it's whether we get to a point that the markets evolve so that the expectation is that everything going forwards is, is green and you lose the green the greenium or the green premium, but it's the secondary trading levels that reflect the fact that you've got outstanding bonds that aren't green and they 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 trade um, outside the green bond. So that that's I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic and one to watch as we move forwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting, Martin, actually, because I, I went out to the states in 2019. We, we did a PP um, in in sort of January 2019 as well. Um, but we were, did a roadshow and we spoke to a lot of these new PP investors and we pitched the idea of green PPs to them. And it, it, it's interesting to see how the market has moved in the last couple of years, because a lot of them had either no interest or, or very little understanding of what a green PP was. And actually, I remember sitting in one meeting and one of them said, that's interesting. I've just got a diary invite for a training course on green PPs um, from, from, from their bosses upstairs. Um and, and that's that's good. so it's good to see how far the market's moved. And we always knew that sort of the states are you know slightly behind Europe, either the Dutch, etc. And, and and Tim, just to just to touch on your question about the, the cost things and and um I, I guess we I see this as probably you know we're maybe one or two refinancing away from most financing in our sector in particular being being green financing and and probably if you flip it around the other way where green financing becomes the standard and you, and you might get penalized for doing non-green financing. But um, you know, taking everything back, we, we I think we've all we've all said it's never been about the cost because realistically, by the time you put in all your new policies, the extra documentation, the extra assurance work, I mean realistically, it could end up actually costing you more. But I guess the benefit comes from um you know having that strong green agenda showing you know what your business is really about it comes through about the reputation from sort of um, attracting the right sort of level of staff if you if you if you look at sort of staff coming through today and you know you're looking at the millennials the generation z they they're going to want to be working for companies with a strong green agenda and if you can show that you've got that green agenda through all stages of of your business whether it's the financing the sustainability the development uh, the marketing anything and you can prove that you will be able to attract better staff. You'll be able to let space on on on, on higher rents. I mean, that that's the theory, and that's where you try to are trying to get to, where this sort of space and this sort of business will be able to attract a higher a higher rent, um, and that so the benefit doesn't necessarily come in the cost of of the financing, but but as, as part of the bigger picture, and and it might come much further down the line.
0: Let's talk a little more about what this money is being. Used for Jay, take us through the kind of work that that Derwent is is doing across its portfolio. Yeah, in terms so, of sustainability.
1: So, so we we've only we took a three hundred million um, green RCF. So, so we kept, I guess, the amount of green expenditure or, or green projects we can we can um, uh, I guess elect to use the financing on. But for the avoidance of doubt, you know, we our, our financing has been specifically allocated to. Our three biggest developments or most recent developments. So you've got the so, 80 Charlotte Street development, which um, PC'd, uh, I think it was June last year. So that was our first net zero carbon building, BRIAM excellent, all electric. Uh, and then we have sort of Soho Place, um, which is you know One Oxford Street, this be one of our, our iconic buildings in our portfolio again, net zero carbon building, going to be BRIAM outstanding. And then we have a Featherstone building, which is right next to our, right behind our White Collar Factory. Um, over in Old Street, which again is very outstanding, they're due to, due to complete um, next year. So there are sort of three main developments and, and between them that we've spent maybe over 400 million on the, on those to, to, to date. Our facility is only 300 million. So, you know, there is capacity to really take out more green financing. We want to elect our next building, which is on 1935 uh, Baker Street. Um, Again, it'd be a brilliant, be excellent. Because the thing is, there's lots of projects that we're that we're doing that all sort of contribute um, towards our net zero carbon journey, um, our, our ESG agenda. So whether it's retrofitting our buildings and moving out gas boilers and placing them with electric, whether it's the insulation, whether it's LED lightings, more efficient lightings, whether occupancy sensors, whether it's bike racks, um, or, or you know even producing your 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 own sort of energy. Um, so there's, lot, there's lots of projects. We, we, in a weird way, we're, you know, when we first started this journey, we didn't know how deep we wanted to get into. So we said, okay, 300 million, it's enough to, for a good start and to, to show you sort of, you know, you, know, you mean business. But um, we didn't know what the, to, how much this would develop. And, and there was certainly a consideration to be made that if we were to go back in the market um, to go back in for some more green finance to help fund our green projects, because we're doing lots of, we're doing lots of great stuff, and there is the spend. There is the criteria. There is the plan to do all of this sort of stuff.
0: Frankie, um, you you touched earlier on the fact you know you're looking not just at existing assets here, but also uh, a growing development pipeline that this money can be put to work in.
2: Yeah, so we, we you know we have a, a target of of um, trying to to develop two to three million square feet uh, per annum and, and bring that product to market. And I think you know clearly ESG is a. An evolving area; it's moving very fast. But but you know, developing buildings that are modern, fit for purpose, and have higher ESG credentials, we think you know, should stand the test of time and should be more appealing to to the end customer ultimately. So you know, that's what we're looking to try and achieve. You know, for us, we've got three main um, criteria in terms of what the, the use of proceeds qualifies against, and and you know, the, I think the largest part of ours will be green buildings. So it'll be buildings developed to a net zero carbon um, framework. As I said EPC, A or B or or, or BREM, you know, very good or, or or better. Um we also have some some renewable energy in there that, that qualifies too. So this is where we're um introducing, you know, wind turbines, um, solar panels, etc., and the investment that goes into that. I think you know, we have seen a, a pickup in the level of inquiries from, from customers, particularly around solar, last 12 to 18 months, I would say. Um so I think that's that's something that the customers are uh are looking at, you know, and and you know, there's some some benefits, you know, clearly there for for, for them. Um uh, and we've got a number of um proposals out at the moment for, for 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 solar PV on roofs. Um and also you know, energy efficiency. So where we're looking at refurbishments on on existing stock and um obtaining a uh, a two-letter EPC improvement um, or a thirty percent improvement in energy efficiency. So all of that will will qualify um, for us. We we've got um, or you know at the time we 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 launched a transaction we had two buildings let, let to Amazon one one in Dartford um, which is our Littlebrook site, um, which um, you know we believe to be um, the you know the biggest uh, logistics facility in Europe once it's completed due for PC around the summertime. That's going to have one of the the largest PV panels on its on its roof in the UK, um, and there's another another Amazon uh, building that that these seed at the back end of last year up in Durham. Um, so those were the two principal buildings that we allocated the proceeds against. Um, but as I said, going forwards with that development target, you know our our development capex, uh, you know expect to be in the region of two to two hundred and fifty million pounds per annum. Um, so that you know there's a lot to shoot for here in terms of future financing. And we do, do see ourselves, you know, looking at that green uh, that 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 green financing market uh, in the future to support those those development ambitions. So it's
0: great to hear. And Martin, uh, tell us what London Metric is is looking to put this money to work on. Uh,
3: similar to the guys, really, you know, it's it's use of proceeds. I think the the framework, the green framework, attaching to the PP is less rigorous than it is attaching to the public bond market. And so we'll, but we'll use it on our developments. Uh, We're currently on site at a a scheme in Bedford, you know, which will be urban logistics, you know, slightly one one slightly bigger building. And then we have a scheme two miles from the center of Birmingham, which we're currently building for a a large US online retailer, you know, which, which, you know, we're we're currently engaged on. So so it'll primarily be on those schemes. I think it's interesting there. I, I think this, the whole, process has got to become embedded in what we do. And I think what the guys just described is, is, you know, Tritax and Derwent uh, are a long way along that that route. And the banks and, and we were very clear that we weren't trying to just say that let's have some green targets. And if we hit the green targets, we get our two basis points. This has to be properly embedded in everything you do. And we're in the process of introducing ESG targets to all the teams in London Metric. So it, it isn't just something we do from a financing point of view. It's something that everybody does in, in all the processes they manage in the organization. So, so it's um you know it is really significant. And when we when we look ahead to the growth of the market,
0: I was revisiting Frankie our discussion from uh, from when the, the bond issuance took place last year. You mentioned then that you expect you know this kind of financing ultimately to become the norm just take us through why why you'd expect that to be the case and and you've touched on you've touched on hopes that Tritax itself will will return to this market already of course
2: yeah i mean look it's interesting over what time frame who knows but but you know the ultimately here it's the end consumer that's that's driving you know global decarbonisation and you know we're all as Martin's put, you know we're all embedding ESG into the heart of our strategy you know the, the, the world is demanding that we do it um, and clearly we will, we will have to, to play our part in that you know how how we operate how we um, you know construct our buildings where we source our raw materials from which developers we're you know we're doing business with which tenant customers we're doing business with how we're financing all of this it, it's all it's all part of the the, the bigger picture here um, I mean, you know, l- looking at, at ESG bond issuance, and, and again, just to put some some numbers out there, so the growth in 2019 versus 18, this is this is public issuance, public global issuance, plus 70% um, ESG bonds. The growth from 19 to 20 plus 85%. So it's you know it's close to doubling year on year, yeah. and we're 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 nearly 50% uh, up on the 2020 issuance in the year to date. So again, that. That kind of indicates that we're going to be close to two times the issuance of last. You said so it's all it's all going one way. Um, we recently saw Jasina look to re-qualify around five billion pound, um, uh, five billion euros worth of existing bonds into green bonds. So you know they're they're, they're demonstrating their their intent. Um, you know it, everywhere we look, there's a there's a thirst for for improving um, you know everyone's ESG credentials. So. You know, liquidity wise there's, there's, there's pools of capital that, that people can get access to that they they didn't otherwise have access to so there's benefits all around you know the time frame to which we move to a uh a, a place where the you know the the, the green um, finances an expectation um who, who knows but you know that's that's the trend we're on that journey on that path um i think i think it's just going one way at the moment
0: and Jay, you made a comment earlier that you think we're perhaps a handful of refinancings away from all refinancings looking like this. Um, so I, I assume you'd agree that something that was only a few years back, something of an alternative area for for capital issuance, is is only going to become more and more mainstream. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I, this is the. W- no one's ever gone through this net zero transition journey before. You know, the UK signed up to this Paris Agreement, we need to be net zero by 2050. We're, we're all recognising it's not. It, it, this is going to take a lot of collaboration, a lot of innovation, people working together um, and encouraging each other. And as you see, the demand, I mean, as Frankie was saying, the, the demand is there. The demand is growing before green finance. And as a result of that, that, that pool of supply will be growing as well. Um, you know, one thing, one thing I did remember from back in 2019, I had to go and check this actually. In 2019, HSBC said, "Oh well, we've committed, um, we've made a public commitment to to lend 100 billion pounds of sustainable financing by 2025." Uh, yeah, and, and actually last year they, they revised that target from 100 billion to one trillion dollars by t- uh, by 2030. L.J. Yeah, I should have asked them for more. <laughs> so that's how far they they have moved you know they they and, and and that's kind of a reflection of what we're seeing in the market um and like I said we we spoke about the, the in 2019 green pp's didn't exist martin's just gone out and done some um you know certain markets are a bit more mature so I think the green bond market is a, is a bit more mature but the other ones are ca- are catching up and I think we are just a few refinancings away, like like I said, I, I, it's not it's not it's not many. It's maybe one or two um, before a lot of this being the a lot of this becomes the norm. It, it's about the suppliers of this finance, the financial institutions, they're growing their own green green agenda, and they will be trying to align that agenda with 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 the borrowers as well.
0: And Martin, as you look at, at refinancing that that revolving facility, you were talking about, of course, again then focusing on on green initiatives and sustainability, so this is clearly going to be a big part of London Metric's strategy going forward.
3: Look it is, no, and I think when we first started thinking about it, the the idea that we were future-proofing our debt to a degree was relevant, and I think we are, but I think the guy, I agree with the guys, you know, there's a direction of travel here and there's only one direction it's going in, you know, there is a, you know, decarbonisation is a global target. You know, and, and it was made quite clear by, by our political leaders yesterday. You know, real estate in the UK count, counts for 40% of the carbon footprint. You know, and so we're we're going to have to be in the vanguard of, of, of you know making the changes that have to be made. And I think Jay's points you know are right. Ultimately, you know, creating our buildings that are that are you know effective know you know in terms of sustainability will make them more valuable. You know, if they don't have those credentials they will become non-institutional you know and when we try to sell them we won't be able to you know and ultimately I think you know Jay's right isn't it you know if if the best buildings with the best ESG or sustainability credentials will attract the best rents. I,
1: I, I probably just would would add sort of one slight caveat is and I think that we've also got to be careful sort of just playing devil's advocate is that I think we also need to accept that not everything will be green. <laughs> I think I think there's that I think one thing we just got to be careful of is, um, you know, all everyone around this I think table, this this screen, we've all done we've all done great deals. We've we've set high benchmarks, and I think it's important for people to just to consider about their own green credentials and not just say, okay, I want to stick the word green in front of my financing. Um, you don't want to do something just to just for you know, which devalues the quality of what green financing is supposed to represent or what um, important uh, sustainability metrics you're supposed to have. Um, and I think I'd probably just say it, it, it is important to recognise that not everything will be green. Yeah.
3: Jay, you made a really interesting point earlier, which I completely agree with, and we've had this discussion at board level. You know, if your target is you know EPC ratings at A, B or C, mm. what do you do when you find an opportunity that's D or E? Well, we would buy it because one of the things we do, you know, and, and you do, you know, is you you take poor buildings, you know, and you you apply your asset management skill set to it, and you make it better yeah you know and and i think you know we we will always do that you know and and to to try to have a portfolio of multi-let industrials in the middle of birmingham that's all epc rated a Mm. it's not going to happen
2: the the norm is 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 the green issuance and the use of proceeds um obviously there's the the sustainability linked um form of financing and just wondering whether martin or jay have a view as to whether you know the green aspect is going to remain most common or or whether there will be a bit of a transition over time as kind of corporate KPIs become you know, more mainstream and more recognized. Um I think again, that's an interesting
1: I mean to watch yeah, Frankie, I mean when when we did when we did this, we obviously focused on use of proceeds because that that naturally fitted in with our model. Um, this is this market's continuously developing. It's always moving, and we've seen sustainability linked financing deals. There's no reason why you can't have a mix of both even um. So Absolutely. I don't know where the market's going. All I know is that it's continuously developing, and I don't think there's one wrong or right answer. Um, I think they're both good, as I said, um, sustainability-linked financing, which sort of links to your company's overall sustainability KPIs. If you're doing a financing which is encouraging that um, and and contributes towards that, then then I think that's great as well. I I certainly would consider it going forward, just because I've done a use of proceeds that doesn't mean the next one would have to be. Um, I mean, we've we've done it, and we've got a framework. So, if we if we can, we'd like to use that. But I wouldn't by any means rule it out.
0: I think it's such an important point. This is a market that's still evolving, although it's come so far in such a short space of time. But it's still relatively so young that it it's no doubt going to change again multiple times over the the years and the deals ahead. Well, we will look forward to keeping track of what your companies do in this space. Um, I've really enjoyed talking about this with you all today. Thank you again so much for, for making time for this. I think, um, you know, Jay's point about the need for collaboration and innovation as this, as this market develops across the industry is um, is really true. And it'll be exciting to see what kind of transactions you can all strike in, in the months and years ahead. But uh, look, for now, Frankie, Jay, Martin, thank you all so much for making time to be with EG and sharing your thoughts on the topic. And thank you for listening to this EG Market Moves podcast. Remember that you can subscribe to all of our podcasts on your favourite platform and head to egi.co.uk for more real estate news, analysis, interviews and data.